Hello and welcome to the first episode of Rapids Fire, the accelerated data science podcast. I'm your host, Paul Muller. Thank you for joining us today. Today, my co-host will be Josh Patterson, Senior Director of Engineering at NVIDIA, and perhaps more importantly, the person who had decided that deep learning shouldn't be the only thing in data science accelerated by GPUs. We're gonna be talking with Keith Kraus, Systems Software Senior Manager at NVIDIA, who leads the development of QDF. Rapids recently turns two. We're gonna talk about the past, present, and future of GPU accelerated ETL, and what it's like starting an open source project from scratch. We're gonna ask these two gentlemen for key memories on the journey from an idea to a suite of tools that's changing how data science is done. I'll be back after the wrap up and I hope you enjoy. Josh, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Um, before we welcome our guest, Keith, can you tell the audience a little bit about your own career journey? You weren't always a data scientist. How did you end up here today? Sure. I, I had a very winding journey, to be honest. Um, I started my life running a construction company. Uh, there was a financial collapse. So I used my master's in economics to, uh, to go to the center of it. So I, I started working at Freddie, um, Freddie Mac. And from there on, I always had a passion of making ML systems faster. We would do forecasts each month uh, for housing analysis and research. And I started writing, you know, essentially distributed code to um, exploit resources of our of our grid system to finish the job faster. I bounced around a little bit from Freddie Mac to PwC and then to Fannie, um, all doing you know mortgage related financial service things. Before I realized that you know I really just wanted to do um, you know big data. So when you say uh, Fannie, uh, for our listeners that might not know, that's uh, Fannie Mae. Um, Josh was actually at the two um, very large uh, quasi governmental manufacturers of mortgage-backed securities. And both of these organizations go back to um, the New Deal. Uh, I think it's interesting that they were one of the original big data shops. And that's where we met. We uh, had desks next to each other. And then I know from there you went to Accenture. Uh, it was great meeting you at Fannie Mae, but I realized that my calling was more in just pure big data. Uh, so I joined Accenture Technology Labs. I kickstarted uh, the kind of, you know, what we call, you know, data viz today. Um, I, I started that at Accenture, and then I moved to DC while doing a combination of big data and data visualization. We realized it's just an extremely hard problem. It basically costs too much money to really defend a network properly. So we, we tried to drive down the cost through innovation, and it led us to GPUs. Um, and from there, I realized GPUs can just do big data analytics at a fraction of the cost of CPUs. Since then, I've been on this kind of never-ending hunt to uh, use GPU more until I ended up in NVIDIA. Very good. I uh, I remember um, way back in the day, um, we were standing talking with other colleagues uh, who worked at Accenture uh, back at um, Strata 2014, um, rest in peace, Strata. But I remember you bringing up the idea of GPU accelerated ETL and data science. But I also remember a lot of naysayers. What gave you this idea? And do you have any advice for folks listening who may be in a similar situation to where you were, where you have an idea, you know it's a good one, but you might be the only person in the room that thinks that for a while. Sure. So I was late to the party myself on GPUs. I remember reading an article about the Condor cluster. Um, so it was uh, like 1,400 or you know more than 1,000 PlayStations, and they all had NVIDIA GPUs in them at the time. So you know, these are earlier PlayStation models. 
and the Air Force was using them, um, you know, for, for essentially uh, big data analytics um, and image processing. And I just thought this was the most, you know, unique way of building a supercomputer using, you know, NVIDIA GPUs that were in PlayStations. And I'm like, well, you know, big data is not too different. You know, we just, you know, kind of want to do a bunch of, you know, group buys and joins and other types of operations. And on first principles, it just made sense. Uh, you know, GPUs have really, you know, amazing uh, random memory uh, bandwidth access. You know, they just have a ton of compute. And when you think about big data and machine learning, it's kind of the perfect marriage of the two. And so later on, we realized there were going to be limitations, you know, as GPUs have evolved over time, those limitations are fewer and far between. But, you know, sometimes first principle thinking just leads you down a path where there is no one else but you. It's kind of the the opposite of reasoning where, you know, when you reason something, there are a lot of people who are thinking like you. Uh, even uh, w- when I joined NVIDIA, I think the, the the idea of doing big data analytics on GPUs was a little bit radical. Uh, thankfully, we had the support of, of Jensen, our CEO. None of this would be possible without him. Um, he believed and he, you know, gave us an opportunity to kind of, you know, prove our value. And, uh, you know, the rest has really been history from there. So just when you're in these situations, just keep doing what you believe in and, um, you know, I truly believe eventually somebody will give you a chance to, to you know, step up and, and improve it. I think that's great advice. Um, when I joined NVIDIA, the software that became Rapids was under a different name. And you had been working with the GPU Open Analytics Initiative. What was that like? How was it to, uh, you know, start a open source project and then watch it, you know, grow and be renamed. And I'm just curious about what, uh, you know, at one point there wasn't a single line of code written that would eventually become what we now know as Rapids. So how did you build the project up? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge believer in communities. And there were a lot of companies at the time who were really getting started in GPU acceleration. Um, I, I actually really knew it was a great idea from Graphistry, one of the original, you know, members of, uh, of GoAI. So Graphistry, they do, you know, interactive graph visualization and, 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 it's, and it's specific, but it's also one of the harder things. If you've ever done really large scale graph visualization on CPUs, you know, it takes like minutes to render a graph and they were doing, you know, really massive graphs, you know, millions of nodes uh, interactively, you know, back in, you know, 2015. And so... That project was really impressive. MapD, which is now OmniSci, you know, fully in GPU memory database was really impressive. You know, H2O was starting to add GPU acceleration to a few algorithms. And so the idea was, hey, you know, instead of all of these different companies doing their own thing, you know, Gunrock out of UC Davis, Anaconda with Numba, the thought was, wouldn't it be better if, you know, all of them came together and kind of united to do something bigger. And so that's really how GoAI started. It, it, it evolved and it, and it grew. And, you know, there was you know, Blazing DB at the time who was working on it. And it was, it, was, it was a really great core, but it wasn't really moving fast enough. And, and that's partially because it was really hard to, to, to do this to e- even then. And so what I realized is NVIDIA had a major role to play into pushing this ecosystem and also to lower the barrier of, uh, of, of people being able to write software to create new things and new software products and 
really, NVIDIA had to be at the center of the ecosystem because the, the, the knowledge, the CUDA expertise, uh, kind of the, the, the roadmap begins and ends with NVIDIA. And so, uh, as I said, Jensen, you know, allowed us to slowly build a team and prototype and grow. And once we started building certain core fundamental foundations, it really became a lot easier to accelerate the growth of the community. And so Rapids has a really great name because, you know, it has been rapidly evolving. It has been rapidly growing. It has been rapidly uh, expanding its uh, breadth of functionality. And it's become significantly easier for people uh, to do things on the GPU. Uh, we've created a lot of standards. We've created just a bunch of building blocks, both for developers and for end users. Um, and so balancing the developer community and the end user community is really important to us. And so our goal is really to build bridges to other GPU libraries and make it easier for them to, to do what they want to focus on. And, and, and we're basically kind of the glue that just binds everything together. Yeah, it's been it's been great to be a part of. It's been great to watch. The progress of Rapids over the last two years has been pretty incredible. I know I might not seem impartial, but objectively, we've built out so much stuff. I think it's time to uh, welcome our guest. Uh, thank you, by the way, for uh, giving us your background. I have some questions I wrote for Keith, but whenever you want to jump in, please feel free to follow up on anything or ask Keith a question, but, uh, but welcome Keith. How would you describe your career journey from when you joined Accenture to um, where you are now? Hey, thanks, Paul. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me. Uh, I would say I, I want to step even before Accenture that I was in, I was in school, I was doing my master's and I was in actually a data visualization kind of research group and Kind of what I what I found myself doing is I really kind of went towards the back end work and doing all the data ETL data analytics and building back end services to power data visualizations as opposed to my primary focus and interest being data visualizations themselves and kind of I met Josh and where there was kind of like a joint uh, there was like a joint event that he was at as well as kind of the research group that I was in were participating in and kind of things were history from there. Um, but yeah, and so from there I joined, I joined Accenture and really just kind of spent years working on kind of using, using cutting edge big data technology to tackle the cybersecurity data problem. And really I kind of, I fell in love with data engineering through that process. And in reality, I fell in love with kind of understanding how data engineering technologies worked and what made one data engineering technology more efficient or more well-suited to a problem than another data engineering technology. And now fast forward, fast forward a few years to being at NVIDIA and leading kind of QDF development, that, that kind of background and that history has proved completely invaluable in that kind of knowing, knowing the history of the things that people are doing and the types of problems people are looking to solve with data ETL and data analytics and their typical approaches, I kind of have in my mind about like, okay, this is what people have typically done. Here's where the inefficiencies are. These are like things that we can account for when building these new GPU accelerated technologies to really solve the problems that people are looking to tackle and the challenges that people are running into as they're kind of trying to do data ETL, data analytics at scale and to like solve their kind of real world business and enterprise problems using these types of technologies. Uh, very cool. Um, I think it's probably fair to characterize much of your career has been working with open source software. 
I already uh, asked this question to Josh, but what would you say was the most surprising thing about, uh, and I could be wrong about this, but essentially being uh, either the first committer or the first among the first handful of committers coming from a background of having deployed open source software at enterprises? Yeah, that's uh, great. So I, I guess a little bit of the history behind QDF. So before before Rapids and before it was called QDF, we had a library in GoAI called PyGDF. And really it was a couple of folks from Anaconda who spearheaded the development of that library. I want to give a huge shout out uh, to Sue Kwan Lam and Stan Siebert at Anaconda, where they kind of laid some of that foundational groundwork in the Python library of PyGDF that kind of evolved into QDF today. Um, and so I, I was definitely not the first committer in that front where Stan and Sue were the first committers. And then slowly as the library started to evolve and as NVIDIA got more involved in the development, that's when I really became kind of like one of the first committers on the Python side. And I kind of slowly became the technical lead uh, on the Python side for QDF. So what would you say were the biggest challenges initially? And if you had to do it all over again, would you do anything different in the development of the software? Yeah, so it was it was really interesting in the beginning. So originally, most of the library was a Python library and used Numba really heavily. And then there was like a small C library just for places where it didn't make sense to use Numba. And then fast forward to today is we have a huge C++ library and the Python library is more of kind of just an interface into this C++ library. And kind of that, that journey uh, along the way is we basically ripped out that entire C library uh, over time where we built, we built on top of that C library for a while. And then at a certain point, we made the decision that it is hindering progress and we needed to basically gut it and rework it in order to make it, bring it up to kind of like modern standards and make it much more powerful and usable for kind of developers. You know, maybe we should have built a modern C++ library from the beginning. Hindsight is 2020. We, we kind of just ran with the punches to a certain extent. I have a question, and this is true of a lot of things for people listening, but the first I had heard about Dask was after I had joined the Rapids team. How do you keep up to date with everything going on in the ecosystem outside your day job? And what put Dask on your radar? Kind of, we, we always had in our mind that what we were building, we really wanted to build kind of this a little bit more primitive acceleration layer where the goal was to build kind of really good single GPU functionality that could then be built on top of in order to turn it into multi-node, multi-GPU, out-of-core type functionality. And so for us... The, the first thought was always Spark, right? That, you know, Spark is, kind of was the most popular distributed processing framework for a long time, but we were always just kind of keeping an eye out for, hey, what does, what does this next generation distributed processing engine look like? And can, is it GPU friendly? Can we nicely kind of transparently target GPUs? Can we take advantage of optimized GPU communication? What features that kind of GPU hardware offers, can we take advantage from this kind of software distributed processing engine? Once we saw Dask and started learning about Dask, we really, really quickly realized that it's super modular and it gives us the ability to kind of rip out the CPU computation and plug in GPU computation, rip out TCP communication layer and put in our own like GPU direct communication layer, rip out the CPU memory management 
thing and put in the GPU memory management thing. And it like all of the pieces just kind of fit nicely together where it clear picture came pretty quickly as to we can really build a GPU accelerated ecosystem around this. You know, Keith and I had uh, done a lot of work with Spark at Accenture. And so we've always kind of been using more cutting edge big data tools, you know, for the time. And, and that was kind of part of labs, you know, to uh, look at tools that are going to be, you know, impactful three to five years out. And it, it, I had a, a knowledge of Dask, uh, but it really wasn't until I started working more with Anaconda around uh, PyGDF to realize how powerful Dask really was. And then we just really did a bunch of homework quickly. And, and we being Keith and I, and I think we realized that Dask was just a better option for GPU acceleration. It was just more modular. Um, and we could get more performance quickly. And it really would just tie in well into the machine learning world. This is kind of a, a question related to something that I asked Josh at the top of the show. I had worked with Spark in previous roles. And uh, as an old timer, uh, I'd also worked with Hadoop. Spark's special sauce was that it was all in memory. So you were able to do things you know, better than you could in Hadoop. Did you ever think you were crazy? I mean, I know that, you know, GPUs, uh, especially with uh, GTC and the announcements made there have continued to have a larger amount of GPU memory, but were you looking at the capacity for memory you had and thought you were crazy? I mean, I'm going to jump in. Uh, as my brother uh, says sometimes uh, when he's talking about his children, he says, it makes sense if you don't think about it. And so while we put a lot of thought into this, a lot of things that we know now, we really just didn't know at the time. But luckily, when we did start this journey, there was NVLink and GPUs were, you know, 16 gigabytes. You know, now we're like, man, 16 gigabyte GPUs, you know, what a struggle. At the time, it wasn't that bad. And with NVLink, it really does change how you think about things when you have this really, 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 really fast, you know, bandwidth between GPUs. That's also really easy to kind of program. I mean, CUDA IPC, uh, you're working on a single node. Now we use uh, UCX to leverage NVLink because we go to a one GPU per thread model. But, you know, NVLink was really the game changer. In fact, the, the first DGX, I think, was the thing that made Rapids viable. Um, so you have eight GPUs, you have NVLink. There's 16 gigabyte GPUs. It really started to open up a lot of doors. And so we didn't even join NVIDIA until after we had our first EGX, you know, at Accenture Labs. And so I think this concept of doing big data on GPUs just seemed more logical once the DGX was already in place. So if you go back in time before that, um, you have smaller GPUs and PCIe only. Sure, it, it might've been a, a larger jump, but I think starting with the Pascal generation made it a lot easier. And then since then, I mean, Volta, you know, we have 32 gigabyte GPUs with RTX. Now we have 48 gigabyte GPUs. Uh, the Ampere GPUs are 40 gigabytes. And so GPUs are just growing, growing, growing. Um, and as their memory grows, their, uh, their random access uh, bandwidth grows as well. So GPUs are getting faster, which are just, you know, not just on the compute, but um, everything's kind of really pointing in the direction of being perfect. Uh, compute tool uh, for big data. Yeah, and I, I want to add to what Josh said a little bit that NV, NVLink was really like that first hardware innovation that it clicked to us in our heads that, oh my God, GPUs are becoming this like perfect hardware platform for data science. But part of it also was kind of just realizing how the GPU hardware landscape was evolving. 
we realized that it's just going to continue to keep growing and really kind of building building a data science and data analytics ecosystem on top of this hardware platform is really just a bet on this hardware platform to continue moving and improving in the future. And that it's going to just continue growing and improving relative to CPUs. That kind of the majority of data analytics world today is actually just compute bound on the CPU. Whereas on the GPU, you're ultimately never compute bound and you always have bottlenecks elsewhere. And we kind of saw the writing on the wall that kind of those bottlenecks are common bottlenecks across a lot of other GPU workloads. And there's going to continue to be hardware innovations in those space to help alleviate those bottlenecks. And so for us, we kind of pushed this idea of Go AI and what is now Rapids on the idea that the hardware landscape will continue to improve and evolve and just become even more appealing for these types of workloads. I can't agree with Keith more. And then at the same time, there was this, you know, there were amazing things going on in the software space as well. Apache Arrow was kind of getting to its stride and we saw this need to, you know, remove serialization and deserialization, this need for um, unification across languages. And so all these things were actually, you know, perfect for GPUs as well. Um, because a lot of the, the, the building blocks that, you know, uh, we have today, um, we can extend to new languages um, with, you know, remote direct memory access, RDMA, we can now just pass things from GPU to GPU without doing all the serialization and deserialization. If we would have tried to just go straight into Rapids in like 2014 without Apache Arrow, without NVLink, you know, without a lot of things, I don't know if it would have been as successful on that, you know, Condor cluster. With Arrow, with NVLink, you know, with all the things that are, um, you know, in Thrust and Cub, um, you know, shout out to Bryce. Uh, I love what Bryce is doing with, you know, pushing NVIDIA to, you know, have kind of, you know, state-of-the-art C++ primitives for people to use. It's just now significantly easier to build this, but we're really building on decades of engineering. You know, countless other engineers at NVIDIA have built so much stuff that we're just stacked and stacked and stacked on top of. It seems a lot easier than it would be if we had to go build the whole stack. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're basically echoing Newton, who said, if I've seen farther than others, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. But you mentioned something that I would like both you and Keith to elaborate more on. What is Apache Arrow? Sure. So Apache Arrow is a, it's a relatively newer Apache project. It's a few years old now, where the kind of at the core of the project is an in-memory columnar memory layout basically designed to allow efficient exchange of kind of tabular data and efficient processing of tabular data. Um, and then on top of that memory layout, there is also a kind of full featured library. There's actually multiple languages of libraries where there's like a C++ library, a Java library, a Python library, an R library, et cetera. And basically the whole, the whole idea behind Apache Arrow is to try to unify this tabular data processing ecosystem around a the idea of sharing sharing memory and being able to exchange data really efficiently without having to go through very inefficient serialized data formats. And so for us on GPUs, it's it's a really friendly data format where it is contiguous in memory, and so we can really nicely vectorize our processing on the GPU for it. But then even more importantly than that, it allows us to kind of interoperate with the entire kind of more traditional CPU-based 
big data ecosystem. And so we can easily kind of hand data that we are processing or have processed off into kind of the typical tools that people are used to using really efficiently and really easily. What are you most excited about in the near future for QDF? And this is a question to both Josh and Keith. At supercomputing, NVIDIA launched the DJX A100 80 gigabytes. The new result, having that much memory in a GPU, and you know, earlier we were talking about how you know the GPU memory grew and NVLink grew and all these other bottlenecks are starting to become less and less. Once you have a GPU that big, I mean, we're, we're seeing 25X TCO numbers. And so I just couldn't be prouder of the work that Keith's team is doing in Blazing SQL. Big data is now a fraction of what it used to cost. And so, you know, if I told someone, you know, you're gonna spend a million dollars on this on CPU, or, you know, you're gonna spend like 40,000, essentially I'm saying it's gonna go from costing something to nothing. And so making big data essentially free, I think is just really mind blowing. Um, and, and, and there's still more room for improvement. And so I just I really love the fact that we can start now doing big data analytics at scale and it's you know, interactive speeds. And you know, essentially it's just you know, trivially inexpensive. You know, we're treating big data like people used to treat you know, one gigabyte and 10 gigabyte data sets. You know, they're, they're no longer intimidating. Yeah, it's, it's very exciting stuff. Uh, please go ahead, Keith, with uh, with your views about what you're most excited about in the near-term future of QDF. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to talk a little bit more from like the library perspective and kind of what the mm -hmm. what the development team has been working on that I'm really excited about. Where kind of in the recent 0.16 release, we we added the ability to start handling nested columns in QDF. That we now have the ability to have list columns and struct columns which kind of opens up a whole new set of use cases. Kind of before having those, tackling those use cases was either really, really difficult to work around or really inefficient to work around. So I'm really, really excited to see how people start using these kind of list columns and struct columns to solve their problems. Uh, the other thing that I'm really excited about is we're starting to explore kind of using the GPU to do more on the fly data compression and decompression where mm -hmm. Historically, we've always done some compression and decompression for things like reading and writing parquet files and other IO related things. But now we're, we're exploring using compression and decompression in kind of some of the other critical communication areas about things like if I need to spill data off of the GPU into host memory, I can compress my data before doing so, so I don't have to transfer as much data over the PCI Express bus. Um, and similarly, if I'm gonna send data between GPUs where maybe that goes over NVLink, or maybe I need to go over my network card. Um, we can potentially compress the data before sending it over the network card in order to have to send a lot less bytes over the wire and actually accelerate that communication due to that. So I'm really, really excited um, about kind of that exploration going on. Uh, the other thing I wanna add is not directly in QDF, but there's been a ton of really great discussion actually going on in on the Numba project right now that kind of QDF developers, Numba developers, KuPy developers, TensorFlow developers, PyTorch developers, et cetera, we're all talking about kind of improvements that we're trying to make uh, to the CUDA array interface standard in order for us to even more effectively be able to kind of share memory between one another to kind of allow for this zero copy, 
these zero copy data pipelines where I can go from kind of data ETL to machine learning to deep learning all on the GPU without having to like copy data off the GPU in any way. And it just leads to really awesome speed ups that enable kind of new sets of problems to be tackled. I know that at the time that this podcast is going to drop, October will have come and gone, but we still love to have people contribute to this project. What advice do you have for listeners out there that would like to contribute to QDF? Yeah. So I would say there's QDF really has kind of three main areas right now. We have a, we have like a CUDA C++ library called libqdf under the hood. That is a full featured modern C++ library. It is not built just to be used by Python by any means. We have the QDF Python library, and then we have a QDF Java library as well. And so what I would say is, even if you're not a CUDA or C++ developer, there's plenty of opportunities for you to still jump in and contribute to QDF. Um, that, you know, trying to, trying to build a data frame library is a really, really wide, it has a really, really wide kind of scope of functionality. And so for us, we are still very much in the area of needing to continually add more and more features in order to allow people to solve their problems. And so the best advice I have is really just kind of dive in and give it a shot and then kind of ask uh, if like you need guidance as far as next steps, just ask us and we are more than happy. We are more than happy to kind of point people in the right, the right direction and help people to kind of build to what they're trying to build. It's actually been one of the most rewarding things about working on open source software is we've, we've gotten this kind of group of external contributors that are using contributing to Rapids as a way to kind of learn GPU development themselves, where kind of we have a, we have a group of kind of world-class experts in CUDA development working on this project. And that by you contributing those, those group of developers are actually reviewing your code and giving you feedback and kind of working with you to kind of teach GPU programming best practices and kind of do a combination of keeping the quality of our library as high as possible, but also enabling contributors to kind of write better GPU code so that they can better leverage GPUs in kind of their next development projects as well. This is a question for both of you. Uh, what's something that you wish you would have studied in school but didn't? I guess I'll go first. So in school, I spent kind of most of my time in kind of like the data, data analytics, data science kind of space where I focused more on a little bit higher level of languages of things like Python and Java, Scala, et cetera. I, I did some C, C++, but not primarily. Uh, one of the things that I wish I studied in school, but I didn't was kind of more traditional HPC technologies about things like, things like using MPI and kind of lower level verb type interfaces as well that um, I didn't. I didn't really have much exposure to any of those things before joining Nvidia, and I really wish that I would have gotten exposure to those things in school. Where even if I didn't kind of go in the career path that I ended up going into Nvidia, I think those things would have been immensely helpful for me um, in kind of any any development, software engineering type route I went. Just because having that kind of performance driven mindset ultimately leads to writing better, more efficient code. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Keith. And now I really wish I would have went first. My, my formal training in, in school was, uh, you know, economics, mainly around econometrics. 
and so I did a lot of modeling and, and data science, um, but I really wish I would have spent more time on uh, distributed computing and in lower level languages. You know, really good knowledge of R and in SPSS and, um, and SAS and a bunch of things that I no longer use today and replacing that with, you know, more, you know, HPC knowledge or even more C++, I think would have been more useful. But at the same time, I think my career, the reason why I ended up at NVIDIA is because of my uh, kind of econometric background and always wanting these, you know, distributed systems to be faster um, and spending a lot of time thinking about how, you know, end users like myself could do things, you know, better, faster, stronger at scale to answer these um, you know, business problem. So I probably would have never went into like traditional data science if I had started my career off in a different way. Uh, Keith, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about Rapids right now, what would it be? Uh, if I could wave a magic wand, I think I would make our documentation perfect. I think that, you know, documentation is one of those things that we are always, we're always focused on, we're always improving, uh, but it's hard to get it perfect to the point that end users are 100% happy with it. And it becomes just like the, the one-stop source of information people need to use Rapids in the best way possible. That, you know, we, we do our best with it. There's definitely still a ton of room for improvement in our documentation. And I would love, if I had a magic wand, I would definitely just make our documentation as perfect as possible. I remember talking with you uh, about a year ago, and you said that you really liked data engineering, but you thought machine learning was black magic. Have your views changed on this at all? Uh, yeah, I would say my views have changed slightly. That machine learning definitely doesn't feel like black magic anymore. It just feels like a bunch of linear algebra. I would say that, you know, for me, I, my interests have still kind of remained in line where I really love data engineering. I love, I love how kind of the data engineering world really just pushes on your computer science fundamentals, where it just becomes really, really heavy on data structures and algorithms. Yeah, it's definitely less black magic, but I would say that my like my views on it haven't changed too much, where my, my primary interest is still definitely data engineering, and I don't have as strong of an interest in machine learning. I will jump in to add, though, that DLSS 2.0 is essentially black magic in my viewpoint. My last shout out of the of the podcast to Brian Cantazaro uh, and his team. I am just completely blown away at at what DLSS does, uh, from the upscaling to the clarity to some of the 8K gaming videos I've seen. I have no clue how they do it, even though they're internal, and I could probably ask. Um, but I think that's some of the the excitement of it is, is not knowing how they do it. Just being able to add DLSS to almost any game, and it just you know without prior knowledge of the game, being able to make the game you know, that much clearer and more visually appealing and mixing in all the, you know, real-time ray tracing. I, I just think that's black magic. Um, so I, I, I do think that some of the modern deep learning technology, especially if it relates to gaming, is just still black magic. I want to add, Josh and I are both PC gamers. And I know for me, at least, the concept of DLS just making everything look better without understanding how it works under the hood is almost... A, a nice thing in that I just get to enjoy my gaming and have it be like, whoa, this looks amazing. Where if like you knew all the nooks and crannies of it, you know, maybe maybe there's something that isn't 100% right. And then you catch that because you know the nooks and cranny. And then it takes away from your enjoyment 
quite a little bit where I know from my perspective, even though like I'm an NVIDIA employee, I work very much on like the enterprise data science side of things that I still am like a kid in a candy shop when it comes to the gaming side of NVIDIA. And not just the enterprise side, Keith. I mean, we're, we're getting a lot of HPC users using Rapids now. And I think that's equally as exciting, even though I, I understand their use case a lot better. I, I love taking these, you know, quote unquote enterprise things and having someone use it for COVID research or, you know, particle acceleration physics. I don't even know what they're doing half the time, but it just sounds really cool. Well, to both of you, I would say that, you know, the, uh, the surprising uh, magical quality of certain things, Rapids is no slouch. Like the success of our strings library, for example, is something that with my limited knowledge of the deep workings of a GPU, they aren't, a GPU is not a natural ally with strings, uh, but we've made huge strides in that. So um, for some of us, there is still uh, plenty of magic in Rapids. I'm gonna uh, open this up to Josh to ask some questions of Keith. Yeah, thanks, Paul. So I'm gonna ask him, out of all the the, the, the new features and things going on within QDF, outside of QDF, what are you really excited about in Rapids? Yeah, so kind of outside of QDF, I've been I've been really excited seeing some of the data visualization work going on, like with QX filter and in Q data shader and whatnot. That kind of one of one of the things that I had always thought about with Rapids was this idea of doing like really high fidelity granular data visualization and allowing very interactive use with it. And that basically, if you have that really tight kind of visualization computation loop that you could basically visualize like billions or tens of billions of points in real time and interact with it and basically like really kind of dive into your data without needing to write code, if that makes sense. And doing it at like a level of granularity that just isn't possible without kind of accelerated computing. No, I completely know what you're talking about. Uh, the last thing I wanna ask is, you know, when we joined, you know, we wanted to GPL accelerate Spark and, and now we're seeing kind of the uh, proliferation of the Python ecosystem, you know, in scale and speed, usability, uh, extendability, uh, you have things like Blazing SQL, full SQL engine built on top of Dask, you have all the ML and graph analytics, you know, integration to the DL frameworks and the visualization libraries. Where do you think this will be in a year from now? Yeah, I think I think a year from now we're going to be we're going to be in an interesting place where, kind of for the past two years, Rapids has been a lot more horizontally focused than it has been vertically focused. Where there's been kind of the majority of what we've talked about and think about and like you read about has been kind of in the development of like the core libraries themselves. And I think we're really at the point now, two years later, that we have a ton of rich functionality and have something that's like really production ready, where I think over the next year, we're going to see a lot more, a lot more vertical things in the rapid space about, for example, use of rapids in finance, use of rapids in healthcare, use of rapids in HPC, use of rapids in so on and so forth. And I'm really, really, really excited to see kind of the, the different ways that kind of people and in different industries are using rapids to kind of like solve their domain specific problems. And even more than that, seeing kind of how the ecosystem develops on top of it, where, you know, we may see some, we may see some kind of like domain specific libraries being built on top of Rapids 
that kind of solve problems in like, for example, the genomic space or the healthcare space. And I'm really, really excited to see those things kind of start to build and evolve on top of Rapids. Absolutely. My, uh, my first love in big data after finance was cybersecurity. And in a way, I feel like a lot of the direction of where we started with Rapids, you know, combination of ML and graph analytics and, you know, scalable interactive uh, ETL for data viz, you know, was targeted cyber problems. But I'm very excited to see Rapids in, you know, drug discovery and genomics and so many other, you know, really cool and interesting problems in HBC. Um, so I couldn't agree more. I would love to see more Rapids use cases for gaming. If any gaming companies out there are listening, mainly because I love the intersection of, of, of GPUs, data science and, and, and gaming. And with that, I, I think, you know, that's, that's really all I have for Keith, Paul. Anything else? I think this is a natural place to wrap up. Josh, thank you for co-hosting. Keith, thank you for being the guest. And I just continue to look forward to observing the evolution of Rapids. Thanks again to Josh Patterson and Keith Krause. And thank you for joining us for our first episode of Rapids Fire. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Please join us in two weeks as we toss a log and even stream logs on the Rapids Fire. We'll be talking with Bartley Richardson and Rachel Allen of NVIDIA about the work they've done on Cybert. This episode will be an early holiday present for anyone who's interested in cybersecurity, transformer models, and or natural language processing on the GPU. If you have any questions in the meantime, hit us up on Twitter at RapidsAI or reach me directly at RealPaulMahler. We look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks.